Welcome to the first, the inaugural tech to You Tuesday. I'm your host, Ian Reeder. So glad to be with you. Excited to get things started. Uh, today is Tuesday, September 26th, and uh, we're going to be talking about a few things today. If you're listening to The Rad Show, you got a good preview of a lot of the things we're going to be going over. And before I get into subjects, too, I, I wanted to just get started, talk a little bit about what the show is, uh, what we're going to do moving forward, give you a good idea of the type of topics we're going to be talking about. Um, and I think first and foremost, the things that I, I really want to tackle here are your questions. I've got a great list of questions to go through today that have been sent in. Um, really great questions that are applicable to a large audience. Um, things that you might not know you could benefit from. Uh, things that you probably know that you're lacking in, whether it's like uh, internet security or if it's um, you know wireless coverage in your house or whatever. I'm going to be giving a lot of tips on things like that, which are applicable to everybody, uh, a large audience. And so I, I encourage as many questions as possible, especially those questions that like, ah, you know, this is a boring one. I, you know, if it's boring, I, I'm not going to read it. I'll respond to you though. Um, but if it is something that is applicable, which most will be, even if you think it's not, send it in. Uh, rad at radradio.com. I am monitoring that email too during the show. So if you send anything in, whether it's during the rad show or during uh, the tech to you Tuesday show, I'm going to be available right away. And it looks like um, pretty much right as soon as we started, we already got an email. So it's wonderful. Uh, and, and so beyond uh, questions, uh, technical questions. We're going to be talking about things that are in the news. Tech news, um, AI is just such a crazy topic right now. We're going to go into that uh, quite a bit. And uh, things to be aware of, um, things to uh, keep an eye out for, scams. Uh, we'll talk about uh, new gadgets. You know, the iPhone 15 just came out, for example. For the uh, viewing audience, you'll notice that I am in my office, or at least it looks like an office. This is, in fact, my office. I'm going to be hosting the show every week from my office. We debated on getting a, a proper studio or using a room in our in our office uh, for a studio. And, uh, you know, I really liked the idea of just doing it right here at my desk. Um, I already had most of what I needed to, to make this happen. And so it was a good fit. And also, this is just a really good environment for me. This is really comfortable. Um, I feel like the show feels more organic when you're getting uh, the most comfortable me. And, uh, and so I'm hoping that translates well to the conversations that uh, we'll be having. And then also, in most situations, I'll have a guest. Uh, most weeks, I'll have a guest. Some weeks, like this one, will just be me. And I'll run it solo. And, and um, you know, I'll talk with you, the audience, and, and the emails that you send in. And we'll have uh, you know, technical conversations, but otherwise I'll have people on that work at tech to you for the most part, I'll bring in, uh, experts in their area. For example, a lot of these questions come in before the show starts and I have a good idea of what we're going to be talking about. So if, for example, somebody's asking for very specific advice on uh, virus removal is a good example. Uh, you know, I haven't done virus removal personally in God, five years, maybe longer. Um, so I know my way around it and I could do it if it's my own PC, but really I have guys here that are so much better than I am in almost every level of, uh, of technical expertise. There's somebody here who knows more than I do. Uh, it's one of the joys of working for the, this company for tech to you is, is working with so many, uh, intelligent and, um, capable and, and always learning, uh, individuals. So I get to bring them in sometimes, you'll know, get to hear their perspective and some of their expertise on certain topics too. 
So with all that said, uh, we're going to jump right into it. Uh, today, one of the things that was discussed quite a bit on the Rad Show was a recent announcement from ChatGPT. Uh, they have a headline. I love this headline. It's, you know, and it's funny because you, you'd think as like an AI company, they already know that the world is uh, speculative of what they're doing and uh, concerned of the dangers of AI. And they put this headline out. This is a, a blog post on OpenAI's website. OpenAI is the company who runs ChatGPT. The blog post subject is ChatGPT can now see, hear, and speak. And this this was brought up a little bit on the show uh, today. It is um, this article, and if you're watching, uh, I'll, I'll run through this article a little bit. This, it was hilarious to me to see that they were so confident <laughs> that they would put this subject line up because obviously we are already worried about things like our Amazon Alexa devices listening to us and uh, and our phones hearing everything that we're saying. And, and you've got an AI company, you know, people were worried about sentience and things like that, talking about um, their new software can see here and speak. Now it's, it's a little, that's a little overblown. It's not quite what they say. I would say that this is more like a, uh, an advancement in their application. So ChatGPT has their website. You can go to openai.com. You can access ChatGPT. But they also have an app uh, in the App Store. You can download it. It's called ChatGPT. Be careful of uh, what you search for there. If you search ChatGPT in either the Android App Store or the, the Google Play Store, you'll get fake ones. Um, it, it's easiest to identify because they have a black and white logo and it has the OpenAI logo on it. Um, it's kind of these little swirlies you can go to openai.com and see it they'll have a shortcut to their app there as well if you're interested in it now that said um their app has gotten some new features pretty cool um some of these are uh you know basic like like for example they say it can hear okay you can record your voice it transcribes your voice into text and now you just have a different way to submit audio to chat gpt so right now you can you can write out a string of text and you can say something like, um, tell me the best way to write this cover letter for a job. That's a good example. And uh, instead of instead of writing that out, you can speak to it. Okay, cool. That's fine. I can I can talk to Siri. This isn't new technology. They've they've just integrated this little update. So that's kind of nice. Especially if you know uh, they have a demo. There's there's cases where talking to it can be convenient. It can speak. That's a pretty cool addition. So now you can have a conversation with it. Um, this is not something that you could do before. Not not without like plugins and add-ons and things like that. Now that it can speak, you're actually hearing a really impressive emulated voice of a, of a human. Uh, I don't know whether or not they actually recorded a person's voice and then use that as the sample or if they've automatically generated this. My assumption is that this is a completely generated voice based off of multiple samples. Um, I've heard a few versions of it. And what's interesting is you can hear these like personalities in some of the, the different voices that they have. These the people, quote unquote, people that are speaking kind of have um, different uh ways of pronouncing certain words. It's pretty cool. It sounds very human. Um, so I'll give them some points for that. That's a pretty cool feature. And then uh, I would say, though, that the biggest thing is that it can now, quote unquote, see, which means you can upload images to it. So we'll run through. I've got this up on my screen here. Uh, they, they had this video playing on the uh, Rad Show today as well. They've got this little demo kind of saying, you know, okay, you can speak to it. Um, and that's fine. I, I, I think that that's, that's a cool feature. But um, the things that I think are, are a 
bit more valuable are what it can see. And the seeing thing is, is really cool. You can upload pictures to it. Um, I want to talk about that a little bit and then explain some what I'll call proper uses of chat GPT um, and some of the new things that are coming up. So keeping in mind that uh, these are just additions to an application. These are not, it, it, it's not some new thing where your phone is just listening to you all the time and AI is processing what you're saying. It's not what's going on. Um, but if you give it a picture, so you open up the app and you give the app a picture. Let's say you take a picture of what their demonstration was, which was a bike seat. And you say, I want to know how to lower my bike seat. Okay, that's fine. I mean, I think most people would know. You know, it's got an Allen wrench and uh, it's got a little clip and it's kind of obvious. And and they use this, I think, because it's a low bar. Um, it's easy to fulfill that request. Um, information about bike seats is readily available on the internet, which is what Chappie, ChatGPT uses as its source of data is everything that's on the internet. So that that's a relatively low bar, kind of an easy thing to listen to or for, for it to, uh, you know, kind of transcribe and give an answer to. Um, but getting a little bit more complicated, um, let's say you've got, you know, a uh, 93 Chevy pickup, you know, and, and you're trying to figure out uh, what a sound is or, or, or why, why, what, what hose is loose and what you need. There's some very, very specific use cases um, that I think will be pretty impressive over time. It's not going to be. It's not going to be right away. It's going to take some time for this to really be a feature that is is incredibly impressive. But just say, for example, uh, you know, you open up the hood of your car. You're on the side of the road. It stopped running. You open up the hood. You take a picture, and you just say, "Is there anything to indicate uh, that there could be a problem here?" And if you're not a car person, you know. Um, it might just look like you're looking at a bunch of magic machinery, right? If you're a car guy or car girl, you might open that up and, and say, oh, well, there's a ton of corrosion on the battery terminals. And as a result, one of them has completely eroded off. All right, well, then that's that's kind of an obvious issue, right? Or or a hose is loose or, or whatever it is. Now, sometimes with those with those little glances at things, an expert can figure it out. That's the idea with ChatGPT's ability to see is that it can now be the expert in so many different situations. Um, camera phones, too, are so incredible now. I, I mean, you can get these amazing macro photos with modern phones, these really close-up photos of something. So say, for example, my teeth hurt. <laughs> you take a picture of the inside of your mouth, and it's like, well, that little black spot, yeah, that's probably a cavity, uh, and you want to go get that checked out. I mean, there's a million examples. Apply this to whatever industry that you work in, you know, um, if you can see something that could be a problem, then it can probably identify it. Now, I think out of the gate, like I said, they've set the bar kind of low by showing something like, how do I lower my bicycle seat? It's just such a simple thing, but I, I, I like that they're doing it. I think it's a great introduction. Um, the fact though that it can see, uh, it opens up a lot of possibilities. One of them is that another application that OpenAI has created is called Dolly, D-A-L-L dash E. And right now the public version is called Dolly 2. Dolly 2 is um, pretty awesome in its own right. It can generate images. You know, you can, you can write it, give it a prompt. You can say something like, um, I would like to see um, 
a, a picture of a person sitting in a chair floating in space and I want the whole thing designed like it like Leonardo da Vinci drew it on a piece of papyrus you know you give it all these very specific things it'll generate an image for you and right now Dolly 2 is already incredible um, Dolly 3 is a big step ahead uh, they've given some basic demonstrations I'll, I'll throw these up on the screen here just so you can kind of get an idea and I, I think that this is certainly something that um, we're going to see a lot more in the very near future uh, is uses for AI generated images. Right now, what I'm showing on the screen is an example of a, uh, a little story that somebody told um, chat or what you will be able to type into chat GPT and have it generate these images. So somebody says, hey, tell me about Larry, this little uh, animal, and it creates a whole story, and it creates these images. And basically what it's doing is it's combining um, its ability to generate really nice-looking images with its ability to have a conversation. So, you know, there's that whole writer strike concern, right? Um, this is probably uh, the type of thing that writers are certainly concerned about. Imagine that you're a... Uh, uh, you write children's books. So this this image that I have up on the screen here, um, if you're watching, is a, an image that it generated. And, and this type of thing would take seconds. And, and you can see there's interesting things here too. Like it's showing sunflowers. Uh, and for the most part, they're good. But look at this sunflower like right in the middle, if you can see that there. It, it's not quite right. You know, something's kind of wrong with it. It's got like a little swirl in the middle where you would see the sunflower seeds. Um, that is actually just such a great example of where AI gets things wrong. There's another thing is like a lot of these stars are not stars. They're kind of like little plus signs. There's not consistency here. Either way, this is obviously a very impressive image. And, and this gets to my point about AI, which is that the way that you use it is really important. And having clear expectations of what it can be used for and what it shouldn't be used for um, really will open the doors for you to make use of it in the best way. And so, so as an example, looking at that, you know, that image, um, you've got these stars that don't look like stars. You've got a sunflower that doesn't look like a sunflower. Now, if you're an illustrator, what this is then for you now is, is a great starting point, whether that's a starting point of, oh, that's a cool idea. I, I want to draw my picture kind of like what I see in this illustration provided by Dolly, or it's this is a great uh, place for me to begin, and I'm just going to copy this entire photo and make some minor modifications to it. Or as we go on, it gets to a point where you're just using it to generate images for you. And this goes so far beyond, obviously, like children's stories are easy. This is, a, this is a really low bar, again, just to make these little animated images. They don't need to be perfect, but it can make some really impressive, realistic-looking images too. Um, so talking about what is ChatGPT going to be used for uh, most efficiently. The first thing I'll say is it's not Google, right? We talk to Google. We've kind of been trained. We've trained ourselves. We've kind of been trained as society how to look for some, look for something. And and using something I talk about a lot, obviously, is if you're looking for a computer repair company and you live in Sacramento, you might type in computer repair Sacramento. And Google serves up results based on the content of these websites. If you go to ChatGPT and you type in computer repair Sacramento, it's going to kind of wonder like, what? That's you don't go to a person and you talk like that, right? So you you have to actually speak to it kind of like a person. It, it's a conversational tool. It's a language model first and foremost. It's about speaking and, and and interacting with people. So you could say to it something like, "Hey, 
I'm looking for a computer repair company that fixes this type of issue. And it might tell you something like, you know, oh, okay, what, you know, what part of town are you in? I'll tell you the nearest one, but it'll have a conversation with you as a useful tool. It's a good example of something simple where you're not using Google, but you're using ChatGPT instead. Another example would be um, <laughs> using it to generate content for you. There's a really uh, interesting story. I, I've actually talked about this on Rad a while back where um, they had a, there was an attorney who was like trying to make his case. And generally speaking, in, in, in courts, what'll happen is you'll have an attorney reference an old case and they'll say, well, in, you know, uh, reader versus tech to you, uh, tech to you won because of blah, 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 right? And they go through these old cases and they try to establish kind of a groundwork for, for their case. Well, this attorney goes to court. And he's got all his paperwork and he's ready to, I think he was a de defense attorney. And he's ready to defend his client. And uh, he makes these these comments about this, this case. He's kind of referencing this case. And I don't know exactly when it came out, but it was determined during the proceedings that this case was completely made up. And it's because he went to ChatGPT and he said something along the lines of, I'm defending a client for XYZ. I need some cases to, to show proof of uh, of their innocence or whatever it is. So chat GPT doing what it does, which is to have a conversation with you. And this is probably one of the concerning parts is it's designed to be creative. It became very creative. So creative, in fact, that it completely made up a case. And this made up case ended up in a court. And I don't know if the guy got disbarred. I want to think that that was the end result is this guy actually ended up getting disbarred. But he, um, he, he certainly made a fool of himself and, and highlighted for the rest of us the importance of how to use ChatGPT, which is use it as a guideline. Use it as a way to kind of get things started for you. One of the things that I found is, is it's incredible for is just writing. You know, I need to write a letter. I need to write a, uh, a, a series of terms and conditions, right? Whatever it is, it's really good at that kind of thing. It's incredible at writing. But it's not me, and it doesn't write like me. The more I teach it, I can kind of get it to write like me. But let's say, for example, I'm writing a letter of recommendation for somebody. Well, I can use ChatGPT to say something like, hey, write a letter of recommendation for you know Joe Schmo, and, and this is the things that he's good at. And it writes a couple paragraphs. And yeah, it sounds a little robotic. So I end up going in there and I clean it up. But it's so much better than me starting from scratch. I'm not a very creative writer. So this is this is really filling in a blank for me, a void for me that, that means a lot. So how to use it? Use it for the things that get you started. Don't, don't use it for end all be all. It's not good at results. It's not even good at math. It's bad at basic math. You can fool it to think two plus three is seven. So, so don't look for it for facts. Use it for creativity and as a guideline. That's really where right now I think it's best. Um, so I got, I got a couple of emails here. Uh, Ian, as a nearly 50-year-old, I don't want to be left behind with the AI engineering technology. What are your recommendations on how to break the seal and get into AI or ChatGPT world? I don't want to be like my parents trying to figure out how to use their iPhone 5 five years ago. Yeah, so, uh, or iPhone five years ago. So um, OpenAI, ChatGPT, you can create a free membership on their website. And I really recommend anybody do this. You only need an email address. It's free. You get access to GPT 3.5, which is an incredibly powerful version of ChatGPT. And I would say that the easiest way for you to really get into this is just go talk with it. See what it's like. 
you'll learn so much just by experimenting with it. Ask it questions. I've actually, this is another thing I've been using um, it for is I've been working on a tattoo design uh, for like a year and I've been learning old Norse, like this old language. And I've been learning runes, which were, were used by, you know, people that spoke that at the times like 900s. And I'm trying to get my history right. Like the last thing you want is a tattoo with the, you know, the wrong wording. And um, so I'm learning a lot about it. And I actually just last week, I was like, you know, I wonder if I could use ChatGPT to, tran to translate English into Old Norse and then Old Norse into writing in these old characters called uh, Futhark, which is it's a whole side tangent thing. It did it and it did it almost perfectly. I actually found like an old phrase that an expert wrote and it almost nailed it. It wasn't perfect. But it would have been probably okay enough for the tattoo. Um, it blew me away at how good it was at translating language, especially in old language that's not used anymore. So really impressive. But, you know, it's kind of one of those trust but verify type things. Um, so moving on, I want to talk about some additional subjects. Uh, as I wrap up this, this Dolly thing, though, I want to, I want to highlight a couple things. I think I'm going, to, I'm going to want to make a little prediction this is going to be available in early October, this, this version of ChatGPT, which incorporates Dolly 3 for image generation. Um, I'm going to predict that probably mid-2024, you know, there's a writer strike going on right now. Um, a lot of that has to do with creativity from AI and it uh, taking jobs. My prediction is that things like this image generation tool will be more impactful in the short term than the writing from AI, mostly because AI's writing is not really that impressive. Um, it's good, uh, but it's not that impressive for like creating uh, TV show scripts and things like that. It's good. It's it's fine. It creates creates good baselines, but it's not great start to finish. Almost start to finish though. It makes these wonderful images, and they sample from other artists' work. So they're saying, "Hey, you can opt out. We won't we won't use your art as reference if you don't want us to." Now, they, I, I don't know the details of that, and part of it is because it hasn't been fully published about how you can opt out. But if modern artist Banksy, for example, if I said, um, you know, he's a he's a prolific artist uh, artist um, of our generation. If I said, you know, make a picture like this, make it look like a Banksy, theoretically, he could kind of opt out of that and then it wouldn't be able to do it. But we'll see. I have a feeling, though, that that's going to be in the news more in the next, let's say, six to seven months is ripping off artists for like videos that it auto generates and pictures that it auto generates. So that's my prediction. That's where I'll leave it off. Um, and I want to go into some of your emails. I got a lot of great emails that I wanted to go through some questions. Um and uh, just hard switch on topics here. We're going to talk a little bit about um, some questions that you guys have had in, in, in scamming and uh, technical questions. And I'll start out with one. This actually came in last week. Um, was there's a, there's a gentleman who wrote in, uh, Neil, he says he has a couple Dell Optiplex computers he got from a university auction. They have i7 processors, 8 gigs of RAM each, and he wants to turn them into servers. One is for home automation and a NAS, network attached storage. That's like a uh, device where you just put a bunch of data on and it's sort of sitting on your network so you can access it whenever you want. Um, and also testing programs like Adblocker. Um, the other I want to use as a game server for Minecraft, maybe Steam. If there's other things I can do. I'm all ears. My question is mainly, uh, what would be the best way to set them up for deployment and management? I have looked into true true NAS scale and Unraid, but I'm not computer savvy enough to fully understand what's better for my case. I also want to set up a NAS at my parents for remote backup, but that's down the road. Okay, just to start with, 
I'll give you one piece of advice. Don't overcomplicate things. Um, make it as simple as you can. Start simple. You don't necessarily need to install programs like, um, you know, TrueNAS or Unraid. Unraid, I would probably recommend personally over TrueNAS for two reasons. One, as far as I know, it's still a little bit more user-friendly, um, but I have a little bit more experience with Unraid. Um, it depends on what data you're using, storing. You know, what do you care to store? You know, and this would apply to anybody who has a spare computer. There's a lot you can do with those. One of the things that I would recommend is kind of a, uh, a hobby is a Plex server. That's something that uh, a lot of the guys here have um, at Tech2U is, is Plex servers. What they are is a, a very basic, basic piece of software you run on your computer, kind of turns it into a server. You dump your movies onto this Plex server, and then you can watch those movies anywhere. You can watch them on your phone. Uh, you can watch them on your TV. So a great example for me is I, I have some home videos uh, from when I was a kid. We converted those to DVD years ago, and then we ended up um, converting those to digital version and then put them on my Plex server. And what's cool is my whole family has access to my Plex server. So they can watch the movies I have on there, but they can also watch these home videos. So, you know, I've got like 10 of my family members all have access to this Plex server and all of our uh, home videos. And they're stored digitally and safely and backed up. And we don't have to worry about losing a VHS, for example. Um, so that's something I recommend. I think that's always uh, kind of fun. And Plex servers are so easy to set up. It's really something that most people could do on their own. So... Um, on that note, too, as far as uh, VHSs and DVDs, I got another email I wanted to address here. It was about um, somebody who said that they had uh, wanted to back up their their DVDs. Here we go. Uh, so this is from uh, Allison. She says that uh, about six years ago, she lost her house uh, to a wildfire, uh, which is horrible. And it sounds like she's got the DVDs left. And uh, she said she really wants to get those DVDs transferred to digital so they can be safe forever and shared with family. Again, that's kind of the Plex server I was talking about. That's a good way to share with family. Um, she's worried about giving these DVDs to an expert. Mentioned she lives in the LA area. Uh, there are, especially in LA, there's a million companies that can convert DVD to uh, to whatever other for put it on a USB drive right um, once you have it on a digital format uh, DVD uh, or move it from DVD to like a flash drive for example or an external hard drive or whatever it is that they give you maybe they even upload it to YouTube depending on the place that you go to I'm sure they have a ton of options her main question is if I give them these DVDs and they're all I've got left and I've got this anxiety about having lost everything in this fire already could they press the wrong button and erase the whole thing? Well, the short answer to that question is technically yes, but only depending on the DVD type that you have. Generally speaking, once it's been uh, what we call a finished project, so the DVD has been closed, um, you can't you can't modify it. Um, and it would be it would almost be intentional and and borderline malicious if anybody managed to erase your DVDs. If the DVDs still work now. I really, I would like to calm you in the sense that I obviously I don't know a company personally in LA that does this. I know that there are a lot of them, but it would be egregious for somebody to make a, such a mistake to accidentally hit a button to um, delete these. They'd really have to go out of their way. Really, really have to go out of their way. Um, I would find somebody, what I would recommend uh, is that you find somebody by by calling them and, and finding out what, who you like talking to. I can't recommend that enough when it comes to, to uh, businesses is, you know, you can go off of Google reviews or Yelp. Obviously, if you're a rad listener, you know, we're not a fan of Yelp. Um, I recommend calling the business. A lot of these are just one man shows. 
Talk to the person that you like best. If they give you the answers that make you feel the most comfortable, go there. That's that's the best recommendation I'd give you. And then once you have it in digital format, we can even do stuff for you. You know, you can call us and we can help you with getting that in in safe places. Um, one of the things that, like I said, a lot of fun is a Plex server and sharing these videos with other people. But that's a great way uh, to get these uh, these videos um, somewhere safe. So. Um, I had another question too from somebody also uh, way out of uh, standard rad listening area, uh, somebody from uh, Hawaii. Well, I should say standard area being Sacramento and Reno. Obviously, there's listeners all over the place, so I'm not surprised. But um, I've got somebody who sent me a message about a scam, and they said, uh, I'm not sure if I was scammed or not. I was looking for a dachshund puppy for my husband. One popped up, and I contacted them via messenger. I'm assuming this is probably Facebook Marketplace. Uh, I gave them my address and my phone number, and I sent them $10 on Venmo as a test to make sure they were in the right account before I sent the full 300 and uh, went to their back, uh, Facebook uh, only a little while later to notice that the post had been removed and they can't contact them anymore. Yes, that's a scam. Uh, anybody asking you for short-term money that they're going to you know, apply to a future transaction, huge red flag. Um, I'll talk more about scams in future shows, uh, in, in a lot more detail. Um, but this is a scam that is all too common is, Hey, you know, I will even send you more than you're asking for. I need to pay for the shipping, but I can't because it needs to get sent to you and, and you have to be, it has to come out of your account. So I'll send you a little bit extra, but first you just have to pay me for the shipping. Anything that doesn't sound like something you've heard of before or or very clearly on the up and up, question it, you know, and, and this is, this is un, unfortunately and undoubtedly a scam. Somebody's looking for 10 bucks at a time because it's an easy low dollar amount for people to not really question. So, you know, they do that a hundred times a day and they're making a good amount of money. Um, so yeah, be very careful. Uh, speaking of spam, uh, scams, one of the other topics I wanted to talk about today was uh, printer cartridges, the scam of printer cartridges. And, you know, as a company who sets printers up for people every day, um, it always kind of stings when people complain, they call us and they're like, Hey, you know, I'm looking for service. I've got this printer. I put new ink in it and it's not working. And every time we hear that call, it's just, ah, oh, that sucks because we feel your pain. <laughs> we, we deal with the same thing. And, uh, there's new technologies out that, um, that help. Um, but one of the things I, I, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to show was a, um, kind of the scam of, of printer cartridges. So printer cartridges, typically, just start with the basics. You've got this little piece of plastic, and you put it in your printer, and it's got ink in it. And uh, a week after you put it in, you're empty again, right? It seems like they go incredibly fast. Um, now, there is a reason for that, and I would like to demonstrate it. I'm actually going to pull that up here. Um, there's, a, there's a really great video that I found of, of a gentleman who uh, takes apart a printer cartridge, a kind of a standard printer cartridge. So I'm going to um, bring that up here for, for anybody watching. What you're going to see is this guy's got a, a printer cartridge and he drilled a hole in it and he's trying to pour the ink out and nothing's coming out. He's confused. He's like, what the heck? Why, why is nothing coming out? Well, he goes out into his yard and he breaks this thing open completely so he can see inside. And what's inside of it are a couple of sponges. And and a couple of sponges, ha they have ink in the sponge but it's not even fully you know it's it's like dry like half of it is dry and doesn't even have ink in it and this is what you're getting 99% of the time you buy a printer cartridge there's hardly any ink in this thing the volume of the container looks like man that's a lot of ink I, I sure went through that fast it's because it's mostly air and uh so 
that sucks. And a lot of us have printers and I, I don't want to encourage people to just go dump their printers, you know, to make use of what you've got. But if you're in the market for a new one or you're going to be soon, uh, one of the printer types that we've seen recently is called an EcoTank printer. And there's more, there's more companies that are starting this. So I was looking at this recently on, on uh, uh, PC Magazine, which is a company that reviews products. They were talking about uh, Epson as a company who makes printers. They make a printer type called an EcoTank. And what's cool about this is it actually stores liquid ink. And you can see the amount of liquid that's in it. And there's two reasons why that's awesome. Number one is you can see a volume of ink you know you're not getting ripped off and number two the ink is cheap it's actually cheaper in most cases than a cartridge and you're getting way more ink out of it now these printers are expensive in fact the one that i've i've got up on the screen here is it like 450 bucks i've seen them as low as like 300 and they go lower than that on sale that's not outrageous for a new printer scanner copier you know type of device um but it's a really great option. One of the things that it also does is is you fill it up with this like actual liquid vial, and uh, you can see as you're as you're filling it, you'll see liquid appear in this sort of reservoir in the front of the printer, and you know that you're actually getting ink rather than getting ripped off. Um, speaking of of uh, getting ripped off. There, one of the reasons why I'm a, I'm a proponent of these new devices is companies, HP in particular, uh, have recently been under fire because they even have printers, which have scanners on the top, like most modern ones do, that if you attempt to scan a document, it's going to say, sorry, I can't scan right now. Um, you don't have all the hardware. And it's because you don't have printer cartridges in your printer. So just to clarify... HP has printers that won't let you scan a piece of paper. Maybe you want to make that a PDF that you put on your computer. They won't let you scan the paper because you don't have ink, which you don't need to do the scan. We've had people call us for this kind of thing. Hey, there's something wrong with my printer. I don't know what's going on. And we have to tell them, uh, this is technically how your printer works you know unfortunately you kind of got screwed and a lot of people have um there's more than just hp is is uh dealing with some some fallout from this so as a recommendation avoiding the scam of printer cartridges i i do recommend these uh these ecotank printers i've i've seen one in person and the functionality was great. I've heard good things. I've I've read a good amount of reviews online about these functions. And there's different brands that are better than others. Epson is the one that I know of is kind of the current most popular making this quote-unquote eco-tank printer is what they call it. Um, now, a couple of other things too. If you've got a printer with, with standard plastic print cartridges and you're finding that it's often telling you that it's, the, that it's out of ink, in rare cases... I have seen the cartridge itself has these little sensors. And if you put the if you put the cartridge in, it'll detect that the cartridge is there, but I've seen them say that there's not enough ink in very short time. There's these little sensors that are on there that you can clean off with a Q-tip, and sometimes it'll actually fix that that sensor or the miscalibration of it, and you'll end up magically with all this additional ink just because it's a little dirty. So when you pop those, you know, those off, if you see ink kind of all over the place. Um, clean it up a little bit. Q-tip is great for that kind of thing. And uh, sometimes you'll magically end up with, with quite a bit more, more ink. A um, couple other emails here. Uh, I got an email about a scam call. Uh, let's see here. Rachel says, I received a call with caller ID showing Wells Fargo, which is one of her banks. Therefore, she answered it. 
the lady told me that there was an account opened in my name and wanted to confirm if it was me. I explained that was not me. She advised the city it was opened and the device type was Apple that opened it. She then gave me a name, strange. She really had me going until she asked me for my date of birth and social security number. <laughs> Big red flag. Uh, of course, I said no way, and she hung up. My concern is that I'm also noticing someone is trying to access all kinds of accounts weekly. Example, Venmo, City, etc. What, if anything, should I do? Um, okay, so the very first thing I recommend is, and I repeat this a lot on the show, for all of your accounts, especially financial accounts, enable two-factor authentication, which means that when you type in your username and you type in your password, the next thing you should be prompted with is something like a, a text code. We're going to text you a little six-digit code, and then when you get that code, type it in. They might also recommend an authenticator app, so you can go to the App Store and you can download Google's Authenticator is a great example of one that works well. Um, you can download it and you basically add this Authenticator. You follow the steps. It's relatively easy. Use your phone. You scan a little code that's on the website you're setting it up for. And then voila, you have this little six-digit code that changes every 30 seconds or so on your phone. And so this rotating code is required for you to get logged into, let's say, your bank account, your Wells Fargo app. Um, that's number one is, is have two-factor. Uh, it's inconvenient. Um, I understand that. Uh, it's annoying to have to do this extra step, but it is immensely difficult to get past. There are people that can do it, but it is incredibly hard for them to get past it. Um, the next one, uh, you mentioned people trying to get into multiple accounts. Um, I, we've seen targeted attacks, targeted attacks on people before, but it's not as common. Um, a lot of times that is just kind of you know, the nature of the beast. <laughs> if your email is available on the internet, for example, like you posted something on Craigslist one day and you put your email address there, it's kind of out there for everybody. Um, so people will try and grab those email addresses. There's blacklists available on the internet of email addresses and known passwords that that person uses. So changing your passwords frequently is something you can do to protect yourself also. Um, but yeah, beyond um, beyond having two-factor and the basics of making sure that you don't get into or that, that all of your accounts are secure so people can't get into them, um, don't be a victim of social engineering. And you know, you you caught a red flag that was huge. Um, if somebody ever calls you, let's just say again, Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo has your social security number. They have your date of birth. They don't need to ask you for that stuff. If anybody ever calls you and they're asking for that information, something's off. And if you've called somebody, let's say you Googled a phone number, like, ah, I'm going to Google Wells Fargo's number real quick. I don't know it off the top of my head. You got to be careful there too. You could easily end up on a scam website showing a fake phone number for Wells Fargo. And then you're calling somebody who's pretending to be your bank. And they're going to ask you all these questions and they're going to get what they're looking for. Um, always double check. It's called the URL where you type in that web address, wellsfargo.com. Try to go to those websites directly too. It's a much safer way to go rather than typing in something on Google and then accidentally clicking on an ad or a fake link and not knowing where you are. And they'll make the websites look a lot like the real one. Um, so do your best to just type those in manually. Um, phone numbers, uh, you know, somebody having the name Wells Fargo and their caller ID, that is unfortunately very, very easy to do. So, uh, for very, I mean, it's something that, you know, I could from my cell phone make my caller ID say Wells Fargo and call somebody. Um, it's easy to do, so don't fall victim to that. Just because it says that on the caller ID does not mean that that's who's calling you. Often a good trick is to say, well, if this is Wells Fargo, then I'll call you right back. And then you go to their website and you, you 
look up their number and you actually call the proper number. Um, so scams, again, something we'll be talking about a lot. Um, I, I have uh, quite a long list of, of common scams and we'll try to hit those every week. Um, I don't want to spend an entire show on them. Uh, if there, if there's ones that are popular enough, we'll go over them in great detail, especially as new ones come up. But the most common thing I can always recommend two factor on your passwords, making sure that those are secure. And then second is just don't allow yourself to be a victim of social engineering. Question anybody who calls you about their authenticity, however you can. Um, and if you're not sure, just hang up, you know, what's the worst that can happen? You know, you're going to, you're going to find the right number, call them back and, and then, and then work your way through, uh, whatever conversations that you need to have. Um, a couple more, more emails here I wanted to get to, um, from uh, Kelly. Kelly says, good morning, Ian. First off, I wanted to say it's great. You have an hour or so every week to answer all of our stupid questions. Questions aren't stupid. Uh, with that said, here's my stupid question. I just said it's not stupid. Uh, I live in Utah and my internet service is Xfinity. I'm sorry for both of those things. Um, that said, okay, Xfinity's not that, not that bad. And I haven't been to Utah in like two decades. So whatever. Uh, the first two weeks and last week of every month, Xfinity throttles my internet speed. I can see that my internet speed drops from about 170 to 90 to 70 to 42. And of course they deny it when I ask and suddenly I'll show that my internet is connected, but without internet access, my tablet shows up internet when I do a speed test. So it, there's, there's a bit more here. Um, the concern that she's getting at is that Xfinity is throttling internet. Now, while that is possible, I will say that they're probably not doing anything that they're not technically being honest about. One of the things that most people aren't aware of is like the water that comes to your house has pressure. The pressure is affected by the amount of people utilizing water. If everybody is watering their lawns in the neighborhood at the exact same time, the water pressure drops. Kind of the same thing with internet. Most of these are on shared nodes is what we call them. So if, let's say, from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m., which is usually when Internet is kind of in most demand, especially in residential connections, you're seeing a drop. A lot of that has to do with a lack of nodes in your neighborhood. So they'll use a, a single underpowered node to power 1,000 households rather than in a new neighborhood where they might have one node powering 10 households. Um, so that is something that uh, it could be that um, it's hard to say without getting a little bit more in detail and seeing some of your configuration how things are set up um, you mentioned that you live in an apartment and that it was you said you say I live in an apartment that was added to a house when it was remodeled we do have boosters okay so this is for your Wi-Fi now um, Wi-Fi is another thing you can have conflicts on Wi-Fi that will affect speed um, but if you're seeing it about the same time every day, a lot of times it does have to do with just neighborhood sharing. If you're at an apartment complex, which I'm not sure if I'm understanding that right, but if you're at an apartment complex, that's especially an area that's going to be affected and you're going to see those drops in speed just based off of, uh, of time of day use. Um, so yeah, be careful of, of, uh, of the Wi-Fi thing too, just because especially if you're, again, apart, if it's an apartment complex, you're competing for Wi-Fi with other people. So um, there are solutions there. You know, you can get expanders. I can talk a little bit more about that. I have some other questions that we'll go over in, in future weeks to talk about how to improve Wi-Fi. Um, 
But one of the things that you, you want to try to do as much as you can is just plug in through Ethernet. If you have a laptop, a desktop, use that. And if you still have a bad experience there, we at least know it's not Wi-Fi and the speed is going down if it's if it's all plugged in, um, then it very likely is just Xfinity. And unfortunately, there's very little you can do about that. You can complain and, and show them like screenshots of getting no speed, kind of proving to them and just keep on having texts come out until they can maybe find the issue or, or improve their infrastructure where you live. Um, but unfortunately, if that is your only internet provider available, um, like that often is the case, you are sort of at their mercy. So the best thing you can do is screenshot and show them examples of, of what you're seeing. Uh, got another question here from, uh, from Homer. Good morning, Ian. Thanks, Rob and Ian, for answering my questions about Intel. That was last week's show. I was really excited to hear they're going in the direction of localized AI. Soon I'll no longer need to log into ChatGPT website because the AI will be embedded in my computer, my data, in my device, not in the cloud in some sense. Okay, that is true um, that localized AI is being developed, which means that in the future you would theoretically not have to go to ChatGPT's website or use their app, which connects to their servers to get AI responses to things. That said, we're a very far ways away from that. Um, and the compute power necessary is so incredibly expensive to manage the, the network required to actually answer questions quickly that it's, it's probably a few years away from even large corporations readily doing this. Um, I don't mean large corporations like Apple and Microsoft, people with infinite money. Obviously, they can do this stuff fast. But, you know, you're, you're mid-sized corporations, I'd say. They're probably not going to be running their own in-house AI anytime soon. You kind of want to because it keeps all your, your information private which is great. Um, but I think we're, we're quite a ways away from real, real, we'll call it quote unquote, localized AI on your device, not shared with companies like, like open AI. I think we're, I think we're a little ways away from something like that. So, uh, one of the other things I want to talk about too, um, is, uh, is, I mean, kind of speaking of, of AI, uh, Amazon has has a really great platform now that they've developed over time of, um, of creating videos. Amazon Prime, of course, people are paying for annually or monthly, so you can get access to, to free shipping and to, uh, to uh, their streaming services, and they add new movies, and they have unique movies on there and shows. Um, and obviously, you know, AI might be generating some of that content for them now. But they're going to start incorporating something new um, and, and, and the reason I want to talk about this is kind of a personal pain point for me. It's so frustrating is, is ads. Like I, I pay for Hulu and, and even I got to admit, I didn't pay that much attention to this when I signed up. I, I like signed up for Disney plus and I was able to pay a little bit more to get access to Hulu. And for whatever reason, there are certain movies that I'll play, which have ads like every 15 minutes, like I'm watching television like I'm watching live TV and there's and there's a bunch of ads and then uh, there are other shows that I'll watch um, or and movies with and maybe an ad in the beginning and and then no ads at all uh, and it varies and I, I I'm I could speculate the reasons why that happens. I'm not really 100% certain, but the ads just kill me. They really kill the viewing experience, especially for somebody who really enjoys watching like shows on HBO Max or well, Max as it is now. And um, so so these interruptions from ads are, are already kind of annoying. But one of the things that annoys me even more is ads on top of a movie. <laughs> so the movie's still playing and a third of my screen is taken up by something telling me to go buy Cottonelle toilet paper or whatever it is. It's so frustrating. And I'm, 
I'm not certain of this because they have not gone into great detail, but Amazon did confirm they will be incorporating ads in their videos. And um, I'm speculating based off of some of what has been leaked that some of this is going to be ads on top of the screen. And then you can pay what they have confirmed is $2.99 more per month for no ads. It's going to start sometime next year. Um, and we don't know how frequent or how large these ads are going to be on the screen. We have really no idea, um, but we know that they will be there. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's one of those little things, kind of a pain point for me as somebody in the IT industry is I have people call and say, I was using Amazon Prime last year and it was fine. Everything worked great. I had no problems. And then all of a sudden I'm getting ads on my stuff. What happened? Something's broken. Somebody's got into my stuff. Right. And no, you know, this is the evolution of technology is we're going to shove ads in your face wherever we can. This is how Google has monetized search engines. Right. Is they just put ads wherever they can. It sucks. Uh, we're especially for people like myself who are already paying for this service. Um, I, I can understand raising rates, but man, the, the ads are the ads are a killer. And uh, what I'm just I'm, I'm hoping for is that Amazon doesn't pull in Amazon and make it suck. I just, I would really love if, if they're going to have to incorporate ads, do, do it in a way that is not so disruptive that I'm looking at this big commercial at the bottom of my screen while I'm watching like the most epic moment of my movie. Um, I can't stand it. Uh, so look out for that next year, sometime early next year. I think that they're planning on pretty early rollout in January. So if you've got Amazon Prime, you're going to start seeing some ads and you're probably going to also get bombarded with ads that, hey, if you want to get rid of this, you can pay your uh, $2.99 $2 more per month. I imagine that they'll probably incorporate some type of annual rate increase for those that are paying for the annual Amazon Prime membership as well. Um, so I want to get back to a, a couple other emails here. I had a, a, another networking question uh, come in recently. Um, it's from a gentleman named Nick. He says, good morning. I have a question about AT&T's fiber connection at my home. The fiber connection comes into my garage with an ONT wire, but that is, but, but that is it. That's where there's confusion is, is this ONT wire. So I have my router in my garage, unfortunately. Now let me, let me clarify some things for the rest of the audience. This gentleman has an AT&T fiber connection at his house. That means that he's not, they're not using a copper wire to run internet to his house, which is what AT&T did forever with DSL connections, is an actual copper wire or a pair of copper wires that would bring the internet into your home. He's got a, a fiber connection, which is a very, very small piece of glass. The whole, it's a big tube shielded in plastic and a little bit of metal. And it's a big piece of glass because it carries all of its signal by light. It's incredibly fast. It's very reliable. Um, but you have to convert that glass to something that we can use. So ethernet cables are what you plug into the back of your computer. When you want internet, you plug that cable in. So this little box that he's talking about, which has an ONT connection on it, um, he's trying to figure out a way to extend this connection so he doesn't have to have the router in his garage anymore. He wants to have it in his house. So he says, I've searched online for an ONT wire and butt connector, but I can't find what I'm looking for. The only things that pop up are cat six wires. Is there something else I should use as a quote unquote keyword to search for an ONT wire? So ONT stands for optical network terminal, which means that that is the point where your fiber cable is being terminated into this box, which is converting fiber to ethernet. 
Can you get a butt connector? Not to my knowledge. Um, I've never heard of such a thing that works, especially in a residential application. It probably exists, but you don't want to do that. AT&T's box that they have there is designed to convert from for that, that fiber wire that you've got goes directly to something that could be anywhere from hundreds of feet away, feet away to literally miles away. So you don't want to put a converter in between. Um, what you want to do is leave that box in your garage, this fiber connector box. You want to leave it in your garage. Don't touch it. Don't bend that cable with that very thin cable. That's a piece of glass. It'll snap if you bend it too much. Uh, the glass will literally break. And uh, what you would rather do is get a long ethernet cable and run that from the little converter box in your garage, run that to your house. And then you can put your router wherever you want to. Um, AT&T fiber is becoming more popular as a service is concerned. Uh, I like it. I'm a fan, um, but it's still, it's AT&T. It's one of the major companies providing internet. There's problems with them. They're not perfect. Um, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tout them too much, but I will say if I had AT&T fiber available at my house, rather than Xfinity, which I have, I would be on AT&T fiber. Their connections are great. They've been reliable. So far, the infrastructure has been really good. Um, but if you get that little box in your garage, which is what most people with AT&T fiber will have, don't mess with that. Um, that little conversion box is not something you want to try to toy with, and you most definitely don't want to take that cable out of the bottom and try to extend it. Um, again, it's glass. Glass breaks. It's very sensitive. It's also very sensitive to dust. So the more you unplug that and plug it in or anything, you could actually very much disrupt your connection. Um, so be careful uh, with that kind of thing. Got a couple other questions here. Um, got a message here from Phil. He says, I got a simple one. What is the easiest way for a lame man to access and use ChatGPT? Um, yeah, like I had mentioned earlier, just go to openai.com, O-P-E-N-A-I.com, and uh, you can sign up right there for free. Um, I believe that there's a big button that just says try ChatGPT, and it'll allow you to sign up with your email, and you could do it right there on the website. You don't have to download the app and figure that all out. Um, you could do it right there online. I uh, got another email here from uh, Kelly. She says, Rad Radio talking about TV volume today on their show. How come when you switch from live TV to a streaming service, the volume is different? For example, you can watch TV on 18, but live TV, uh, you switch to Hulu in order to hear it. You have to turn the volume up to 33 and seems that different streaming services are different volumes too. Okay, there is an answer to this. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of it is really out of our control, but it, it could depend on how you have things set up. So for example, if you've got like a direct TV box, you're watching your television, and then you got another box that you're watching your Hulu, those physical boxes will often have different levels of volume. Um, and, and there's not a lot you can do there other than level with like an amplifier. So you'd have all of your devices run into an amplifier and you can kind of smooth out that volume. Um, but if that's not it, which it probably isn't, you probably got one or two boxes that you're watching everything on, uh, the volume or gain uh, that they're they're sending through their lines, you really don't have a lot of control over, and it is annoying. I think probably the even more annoying thing is why commercials are louder. There's a whole technical reason behind that. Um, a lot of it does have to do with exactly what you think, which is the show is nice and low, but they really want you to hear the commercial. There's a lot of excuses about why it has to be high, but they're for the most part not true. And uh, yeah, it is a frustrating thing. The, the one thing I could recommend it's not the cheapest solution ever, but you can get amplifiers, um, which you might use for like a surround sound system or a, uh, or a sound bar. You know, uh, they have amplifiers that sort of allow volume smoothing. Um, it does work really well for the frustration of certain things being high and being low, um, like hearing whispering in a movie and then all of a sudden there's an explosion. 
as a media nerd, I, I, I don't really, I'm not a big fan of those devices only because they really take away from, I think, the artistic side of the sound. But I mean, if you're just casually watching something, it's really a great way to level stuff. If you have an Apple TV, I know that they recently, with a software update, um, incorporated automatic auto uh, audio leveling. You can you can enable a feature like that in the settings, and a lot of devices have that same type of thing. Um, so you can look for that and, and reduce some of the uh, frustration. I got a, a another question here, different topic. What's the name of the antivirus that you recommend? There is a slew of good antivirus programs out there. Um, a lot of the ones are the ones that I, I wouldn't recommend. And uh, sadly, that, that often is the biggest names in antivirus because if I'm a guy who's writing viruses and I'm trying to attack your computer, what antivirus programs am I likely to go after? Norton? McAfee? Things like that. These are, these are ones that come with your computer. Um, but I would say beyond that, the biggest thing is avoid the free ones. They're free for a reason. You're being used as a trial basis. They're not giving you the most recent updates. You're missing a lot of what we call zero-day infections, which get caught and submitted through paid applications. Um, now, all that said, one of the ones that I recommend the most is, is actually one that we offer is called uh, Webroot Secure Anywhere. That's something you could buy on your own. Um, uh, tech to you customers get a version from us that we can also sort of monitor for you. Uh, there's there's features that we have where we can basically block a Windows update that we know is going to break your computer. You have to go through a company like us to get this particular version and to get the features that we offer. But in short, whatever antivirus program you get, get one that you pay for. Um, I, I recommend Webroot, um, but there's a good list of them that are out there that are good. Um, there's uh, God, I, I won't even go through the list. I'll do another segment on this another time. Um, but as a start, Webroot and and generally speaking, avoid free ones. Um, so another another topic I wanted to go over today uh, is I wanted to um, I wanted to talk a little bit about some some. I'm going to bring out the nerd in me a little bit more here. Um, I'm not a huge space nerd, but I'm a little bit of a, of, of a space nerd, and uh, I wanted to to just briefly show um, something that happened over the weekend. Quite some time ago, uh, we launched a satellite, and this satellite had a, a goal, which was to hit an asteroid, which was flying around our planet, and it, it would it was kind of like, in a way, punch it, you know, and the idea was just stir up some of the, the rubble uh, that's on this, on this asteroid, and um, ideally what we could do is as it's kind of stirred up and floating we could suck it all into this little capsule and take it back to earth so that's what we did uh i believe it was eight years ago i can't remember exactly when we launched it but osiris is the name of the satellite we we, we launched it and we launched it at a very specific asteroid that we were i wouldn't say concerned but there is a a, a possibility that in the future it could find its trajectory going toward Earth. And I, I want to say it was estimated estimated at like 150 or so years from now that we might know that it could potentially be in our path and actually hit our planet. This particular asteroid, we have a good idea of its makeup and its density and, and what would be the impact. You know, if it, if it hit uh, the planet, the estimation is it would hit with the impact of 22 atomic bombs. That's obviously devastating to a major city, but it's not necessarily devastating to the middle of the Sahara or, or a lot of the places on Earth which are not uh, densely populated. 
in fact the vast majority of of our planet is not densely populated unfortunately the the majority of our planet is water and if it landed in let's say the pacific ocean that could seriously cause problems for you know japan and and uh and, and the united states and canada and mexico and um obviously there's concern there about asteroids so what's the point in this well we send this this relatively large uh asteroid out or, or sorry uh satellite out to go punch this this asteroid and gather some samples what do we gain with that um this is the part that i kind of nerd out on i love this so some of the basics are we get to get an idea of what the initial compounds were that existed in our solar system possibly before planets began forming um you know the, the holy grail of this might be that we find organic matter and the building blocks of life on an asteroid that'd be really cool that could tell us about how life potentially evolved on earth um so there's there's a lot there that we could learn which i think is exciting um i think that you know that that'll be some of the immediate discoveries and then um beyond that the thing i i think i'm a little bit more excited about is if we know what the makeup is of these of these asteroids what what compounds they're made up of um what their density is are they mostly sand are they mostly solid rock uh this one in particular turned out to be sort of a combination of both from what we can tell so far and um if it's sand and a bunch of sand just kind of globbed together and we go say okay this is going to come to earth and we need to nudge it out of the way we don't want it to be in our path um, so we're going to just go up there we're going to nudge it out of the way and um and, and send it on kind of a different path a different tra trajectory so that it doesn't hit earth um well as we do that we might make a mistake well i mean if you if you kind of for lack of a better phrase punch a big ball of sand what's it do it breaks up now you have you know, thousands of little asteroids coming to our planet uh, rather than uh, one big one. Um, what if it's a big ball of iron, right? Uh, well, then in that case, you're going to need something quite a bit more, you know, potentially explosive, if you will, uh, to, to nudge it off of its path. There's been countless movies uh, about, you know, asteroids that are a threat to our planet that eventually come and, you know, destroy population. And you're following the family of people who are trying to, uh, save their lives. Well, you know, obviously there, there is a reality there that, that, that kind of thing could happen. Um, unfortunately, a lot of these are ones we don't even see until kind of the last minute, but in theory, if we know that there's one coming, uh, this is a pretty cool experiment that we've run. Uh, we, we've sent this device up it goes and it goes to this asteroid successfully um i mean even just matching the speed of the asteroid and 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 the asteroid's rotation in order to like almost like land this thing is kind of what we had to do we had to find the right spot on this asteroid to properly sample and it had a lot more big rocks than what we expected when we got up close to it so it was really hard to get a sample uh, but it successfully collected a sample from an asteroid and then and then shot that back and it landed in the desert of utah and that i think is just the coolest thing um that we were capable of doing this 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 multi-year long mission uh to get some information that is something that might help us in the future uh, and what i'm really looking forward to is the news that comes out in the in the following weeks and months of what we discover what is this thing made out of what will there be organic material uh, i'll tell you that if there is anything interesting I'll talk about it. <laughs> um, I don't know that there will be, but for now, I'm just going to kind of nerd out on the fun of, of what that was. Um, 
So if you if you, the name of the satellite, by the way, if you want to look into it at all, it was called Osiris Rex was the name of the uh, the satellite. So a lot of fun that uh, I'll get to have in the following weeks of as they get to to announce some more uh, news on that. Uh, so get back to a couple quick questions here that I've gotten from you guys. Um, somebody sent an email and Katrina says keeping track of passwords is so hard. And my great idea is putting them all in the notes app on my phone. I know this is a horrible thing to do. You know you have quickly, or I know you've quickly run through a couple of apps that you believe are secure to keep your passwords in. Which ones do you suggest? So addressing the first part of your message, um, putting them in the notes app on your phone, yes, that's a bad idea. You shouldn't do that. They're stored in plain text. If somebody gets a hold of your phone and, and they have that passcode, it's obviously going to be very easy for them to to see all your passwords, right? So um, not good, not a good practice. Um, on iPhones in particular, I can't speak to Android. I don't know if this is a feature there. I don't I don't think that it is without a third party application. But on iPhones in particular, um, you can actually secure notes now. On the most recent, I think it's since iOS 16, which came out a year ago, um, you could actually lock your notes. Um, so for things that are not necessarily passwords or or highly secure. Uh, it's a good way to keep things private. So at minimum, please lock the note. If you have an iPhone and that's where you're storing it, you can lock it. You just go to the settings of the note. It's a little three dots in the top right, and you can lock it. Um, to the second part of your question, what do I recommend to secure your passwords? Well, uh, there's quite a few of them out there. OnePass and LastPass are the two that I'm most familiar with. Um, LastPass is the one that I think I would still make my current top recommendation they've been in the news about leaks. Um, I, I will say that there's been a lot of hype about those leaks and it doesn't look good, but I'm choosing to use them because I know how those leaks occurred. I know what they've done to protect themselves. Uh, and I know that passwords didn't actually get out because of the way they store their data so securely. So um, LastPass is still a company I'd recommend. Um, they're not somebody I'm, we're not officially related to them in any way. We don't sell their products. Um, but I use it and uh, I have used that one and I've also used uh, one pass and they both work great. Um, you know, things that I would say probably your bar there of what works for you is where do you type in most of your passwords? Do you do it from a computer or do you do it from your cell phone or is it both? Um, if it's both, which is probably most people, then I would recommend something like LastPass. Uh, or OnePass. They both work on a mobile device. You can you can add them as an attachment to your browser, so your passwords will autofill as you get to websites. Going back to what I said earlier, if somebody gets your passwords, or maybe they get access to your LastPass account, that'd be a worst case scenario. If somebody gets your passwords, that's where having two factor is so critical. You know, even even if you've got this really long 25 digit password you store in LastPass, you don't even know what it is. There's no way somebody could guess it. Right. Um, it's very hard to breach just by like brute force attacking a password. Uh, even if you have that still use two factor, because, you know, if somebody gets access to this, um, it doesn't matter. You have everything secured by a, a by a, a text message that goes to your phone. So so um, I highly recommend password securing applications because if you're not using it, you're probably not using something very secure. I've heard a lot of people say, I, you know, I store it all in an Excel sheet um, and then I lock the Excel sheet. <laughs> I, I'm not going to give away how, but I can unlock an Excel sheet in 20 seconds. So um, any nerd who is, who is 
trying to get into your passwords can figure out ways around the simple things. The notes in your phone, um, obviously there's the piece of paper that people keep under their keyboard. Um, <laughs> I don't know that I've heard a lot of stories about criminals breaking into houses and specifically going after that, but you don't want it readily available. Uh, so use, use a, a password securing application. Uh, it is certainly a much better way to go. Um, a couple other quick questions. Uh, I got an email here from Bradley he says, I might be wrong and misheard what you said, but I think I remember you talking on rad radio about getting shows from different regions. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I moved to California. I moved from California to Missouri and I'm having a hell of a time watching Niners games. I have Hulu TV. Is there a way to get local channels from California? Um, yeah, there is. There's kind of two ways you can do it. Uh, one of them is if, if uh, I know you didn't say that you have this, you have Hulu uh, live TV, but on YouTube TV, uh, which I believe is also a little bit more expensive, um, there are more options for programming for one from what I've seen, but also you can set your region. So if you set your region to California, it'll show you local California games. Um, so like I've, I've set mine to Sacramento and uh, I can see local games that would normally be broadcast here. Um, generally speaking, any live platform should allow you to select your region. You probably did that when you did the sign up with Hulu uh, and I bet you can change it. Um, I don't know if you can change it frequently, but that's a thing you can do. The, the thing I was talking about before, which was getting different content, depending on where you're at, is a VPN service. So there are many of them. I use one called Private Internet Access, or PIA, as they go by. And you can turn on your VPN. And um, this is really more relevant for things like you want to see movies that are only available in Europe on Netflix. So you can change your uh, your address online to make it look like you're in Europe. In fact, if you legitimately took a trip to Europe and you used your laptop and you signed into your Netflix account, it would see you're in Europe and it would give you different content at that time. Um, so you're kind of fooling it using a VPN, thinking that you're in a different country so you can get movies that are only available in that country or shows that are only available in that country. Um, this I, I've seen this done less and less because it seems like companies like Netflix realize that it's real easy for somebody to sign up for a VPN and they're just kind of spreading their content a little bit more now, but it is something that, that, that you could do. Um, and then, uh, I've, I've got a couple of other topics for next week. One of the things I, I just wanted to, um, highlight for people is, uh, scam questions. Um, we deal with them every single day. And unfortunately it's like, as much as I love helping people with, with scams, it's disheartening to sit out with our dispatchers. They're 20 feet away from me. I'll sit in the middle of the room listening to calls. And it's like one in 10 calls is somebody saying, hey, I, I got a call from uh, Microsoft. You know, they called me and said that my computer needed servicing. And so they got in and I paid them $300 and they, they, they said they fixed it. Uh, but now I can't get a hold of them again. And it's not really working right. And it's just, it's so sad to hear this. Um, because it happens so frequently. So um, if you have questions about scams, it's one of the things I really would love to talk about regularly on the show. I'll, I'll go into a little bit more of a deep dive in future shows about specific scams and things to look out for. Um, but if you have a question or a story, uh, email us, um, rad at radradio.com, and I will go over them. And then chances are whatever it is that you've gone through or you have a question about is going to be very helpful for other people. Um, so that said, I look very much forward to uh, these future shows. Uh, and like I said, I'll have guests on every week. We'll uh, be talking about, well, possibly every week, most weeks, we'll have a guest on. 
And we'll talk about some things that are a little bit more specific to their experience. And of course, I'll get some different opinions on on, on tech news. And um, I, I will be able to share stories that are a little bit more firsthand of some of the things that we deal with, um, some crazy stuff we see on a daily basis. Uh, so I'm looking forward to those. I'm looking forward to, to seeing this audience um, continue to, to ask questions and I can engage with you and help you as much as I possibly can. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing you guys all next week. So you can catch us uh, again Tuesday at uh, 10 a.m. on Rad TV exclusively, or you'll be able to obviously hear this podcast the day after on Wednesdays. And I'm looking forward to seeing you all then. Have a great week.